0: Well, please bow your head with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the morning that we get to not only be with each other, the encouragement it is to rub shoulders with other Christians as we sing loud and as we sing to you, but also to each other. Thank you for the the blessing it is to be with your people, but also the blessing it is to be with you, to be in front of you in worship with boldness because of Christ. And I pray that you would continue to give us the grace we need to to benefit from times just like this, that as we open up your word, that you would remind us that we need your help, we need your grace to not only see what's in the passages that we'll look at, but also to understand them and even to embrace them from the heart. Help us to do this for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I want to begin with just saying greetings from Cornerstone Bible Church in McPherson, it, it is such a blessing to uh, have a brother like Dave and brothers and sisters like Flint Hills Bible Church. It's, it's encouraging to me, um, younger in the ministry, younger in serving as my role there as pastor at Cornerstone. It's encouraging to be able to look to a place like this and, and see what you guys are doing here. So just be encouraged by that and um, we're thankful to have Dave go preach at our church and uh, be able to be here with you guys and serve you this way. Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, and I promise we will get there eventually. Psalm 139. In God's providence, it was almost 11 years ago to this very day that I found myself in a spot that I never dreamed that I would be. Having just graduated college, I began a cross-country road trip from Ivy, Georgia, I-V-E-Y, to Los Angeles, Cal- California to attend the Master Seminary and two of my best friends at the time agreed to join in this road trip with me. Now being from such small towns in Georgia, being from a family that just never moves anywhere, um, this was going to be one of those road trips that we knew would be once in a lifetime. So we tried to do our best to make our stops crucial and make them matter and while there were definitely some fun stops along the way, Um, Nothing compared to arriving at the Grand Canyon. I remember pulling up there and, you see, growing up, I I loved being outside. I loved being outdoors, but it usually involved a ball or an animal of some sort. I'm shooting at something or shooting something or throwing something. I'm not much for what I call outdoor museums where you just walk and look. That's just not my style. And so I'll be fully honest with you. When we were pulling up to the Grand Canyon, I expected... For this whole thing to just be overhyped. Um, in my head, I was thinking, I knew not to say it out loud, but it's, it's like it's a hole in the ground. Like, I mean, it can't really be that great. And then we pulled up and everything changed. I mean, even standing here now, 11 years later, I, I still can't begin to describe to you the feeling of standing on the edge. I mean, there's, where I was at, there's just like thigh-high railing. <laughs> And you're standing there looking over the edge trying to see something that seems endlessly wide. It looks so far and there's a part of you that feels like it's fake as you're standing there. It's just too much to take in. And I remember standing there trying to grasp and behold something so great and deep and wide and awe-inspiring. I've never once heard of anyone who's gone to the Grand Canyon in their right mind and yawned. And now I get why. Like I understand it because it's it's just too much to behold. And even looking back at pictures, there's some that you can find on Facebook. There's, there's things I'll look at. There's ways I try to tell people about it. Even right now, it's like, look, you just got to go. I, I can't explain it. Words can't do it justice. Pictures can't capture it. So I want you to think about just that illustration with me. Think about how impossible it is for me, a finite creature, to fully behold and comprehend and even explain Another finite part of creation. I said earlier, it looked endless. We know it's not. It looks impossibly um, glorious and, and hard to describe, but we know there is a way to get to the end of it. And here I am as a creature looking at this other part of creation, admitting I just can't do this justice. And that's creature to creature. Imagine how much more impossible it is when we go upwards and we talk about the one who actually is unable to be fully comprehended, God himself. God, eternally existing as the uncreated one, is infinitely more glorious than any, and I'll say hole in the ground. You know those verses in like Isaiah where he compares nations to dust? It's okay to use that language when comparing it to God. The Grand Canyon being nothing more than a hole in the ground compared to God. He is infinitely more glorious than that will ever be. And if I find it difficult, I would even say almost impossible To rightly describe the glory of this whole, how much more helpless am I when I look upwards? You need to understand that God, in all regards, is infinite. God is unable to be measured or limited or bound by anyone or anything. For example, Psalm 147 says that God is infinite in His understanding. Psalm 145 says He's infinite in His greatness. Psalm 139 says He's infinite in His presence. And Psalm 90 says He's infinite in regards to time. And we could continue to go on and on. And in all of God's being, He is infinite. So when we try to consider our infinite God with our finite minds, we bump into this issue that we're calling incomprehensible, incomprehensibility. That's the subject of our study this morning, the incomprehensibility of God. And before we look at what Scripture says, before we turn to quickly look at Psalm 139, There are a few clarifications that need to be made when you make a statement like God is incomprehensible. You need to know from the beginning that this means primarily two things, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of digging into. First of all, to say that God's incomprehensible, it means that you as a creature will never fully comprehend everything about God. But secondly, it also means that you as a creature will never fully comprehend anything about God. So incomprehensibility deals with us never wrapping our arms around all that God is, and it also means never plumbing the depths of anything that God is. When we use any words to describe Him, we'll never reach the bottom. God's incomprehensibility means He's impossible to fully grasp by us creatures on the whole and in any single detail. Now again, some of you will hear this and you'll think, well then if we can't fully know God, if we can't fully know any about God, then why study God at all? Why try? Does that mean that we can't know anything about God? And that's not what we're saying. When we say God is incomprehensible, we're not trying to encourage you to think you can't know anything about God. We're doing those two things. You'll never fully comprehend all that God is, and you'll never fully reach the bottom of anything God is. And this is what we want to give our time to. It's so sad in our day, and even in churches, Where many people will hear God is incomprehensible and they wrongly relate that to unknowable. Again, throughout church history and scripture, unknowable and incomprehensible were two distinct things. They're distinctions that we've got to keep in mind this morning as we work on this doctrine of God being incomprehensible. And so I want to take time to look at the word to be freshly reminded that God is God and you are not. It's that simple what we're talking about this morning. God is God and you are not. So this morning, If you want to be appropriately reminded of the humility you need when it comes to knowing God, then remember these twin truths, and this will serve as our outline this morning. Number one, you will never fully know God. You will never fully know God, but number two, we'll see, you can always truly know God. So you will never fully know God, but you can always truly know God, and by remembering these two truths, You can begin, what I'm going to show you is this eternal, infinite, never-ending journey of inconceivable joy and growth in how you glorify God. So let's begin with that first one, that you will never fully know God. And Again, I talked about some clarifications already, but I want to hit on this one more time before we launch into it. When we say you'll never fully know God, when we say God's incomprehensible, you need to understand, again, we're not saying He can't be known at all. We'll look at this point again later in more detail. But when we say God is incomprehensible, don't hear He's unknowable. For instance, I mentioned to you I'm from Georgia. There are people that I could introduce you to where you would talk to them, they would make noises back at you, and you would tell somebody that was incomprehensible. (laughs) And what you would mean in that illustration is I didn't catch anything. They made sounds, they were looking at me, And I have no clue what was going on. That is not what we mean by incomprehensible. Again, that is a perfectly legitimate usage, but not the one we're aiming for here. In our context, when we say God is incomprehensible, we're talking about fully grasping everything about God. So, for instance, if you gave me a penny, I could put the penny in the palm of my hand, and I could enclose my hand around it completely, and I've comprehended the penny. That's what we're talking about fully enclosing, fully wrapping around. This is what will never happen as a creature concerning God. The sense of incomprehensible that I'm dealing with today is, is explaining to you that God will never be fully comprehended by anyone outside of himself. God is the only one who fully comprehends himself. And so again, many of you hear this and you go, well, I knew that. that that's, that's understandable. But I, I want to do a couple things while we're on this point. I want to explain to you why this is true, because I found two mistakes. When people say, yeah, God's incomprehensible, but they root it in two things, that that's not the reason he's incomprehensible. So, for instance, Deuteronomy 29, 29, we learned that there's two things that the Lord has revealed, or one thing he's revealed, I'll explain. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. And so when we approach Scripture, we know that this is all God's revelation, all of this is. But this is not everything God could have revealed. Obviously, we don't think this book fully exhausts God. And so we know from Deuteronomy 29 29 and other passages that there's some things that are revealed to us. There's other things that are still secret to us. And sometimes we think that's why God's incomprehensible. Because if I just had more information, I would fully comprehend him. That's not why God's incomprehensible. It's not due to a lack of revelation on our part. But it's also not due to another issue that people rooted in, and that's your sin. People think, well, of course, as sinners, we'll never comprehend God, and they act like when we get to heaven, then we'll fully comprehend God. Absolutely not. The problem with comprehending God is not due to an, a lack of revelation from Him, and it's not due to a lack of glorification on our parts, and on our part. So you have to ask, why is it that God is incomprehensible? Which I'm glad you asked. The reason that God is incomprehensible is the simple answer I told you earlier. God is God and you are not. This is why God will never be comprehended by anyone or anything outside of himself. God's divine nature is infinite. You are finite. The ultimate reason that you will never fully comprehend or enclose God is because you're a creature. He's the creator. Heaven will not fix that. Heaven will not change that. Your sin does not cause you to be a creature and Him creator. That's not the distinction. The distinction is He made you, you are finite, He's infinite. You're in Psalm 139, look at verse 1, you'll see what I'm getting at. Psalm 139, verse 1, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, notice the language, cannot attain it. David's not saying these thoughts about God are just really hard to attain. He's not saying they're just really difficult to attain. He says they're unattainable. You can't do it. God hymns us in. We don't hem Him in. Look over at Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 1, just to show you more of this inability language. Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I want you to finish this for me. And his greatness is what? Unsearchable. Not hard to search out. Not difficult to search out. Unable to be searched out. Again, this is not like your, we have the, the saying, you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. But with the right tools and around, amount of time and, and hard work, you could conceivably, find a needle in a haystack. We, would, we know that that's hard, and in fact, it's so hard that we use it as a phrase that comes across as impossible, but technically it really isn't impossible because that needle is in there, and you could do the right work to get to it. That's not the way this is, th- this is talking. When we say that God is unsearchable or he cannot attain the thoughts, David, we're talking about an inability on our part. Look at Psalm 147. I tried to get psalms that are right next to each other just to help you see that this is not a, a one-time truth. and this one, there's something, there's something in some of these words here that I want to walk you through just very briefly, just to show you the contrast that sometimes we miss. It says, Praise the Lord, Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines, notice, the number of stars... He gives to all them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Again, God's understanding, notice the language, is beyond measure. Not hard to measure, not difficult to measure, not just too big to measure. It's impossible to measure. It's infinitely beyond measuring. You can't do it. But again, this verse is even more clear than on our first reading shows us. In verse 4, it says that God determines, and it uses the word, the number of stars. So God can number the stars. There's a limited number. We look at it and go, it's limitless, but truly it's not. God can number the stars. In contrast, in verse 5, the ESV says that God is beyond measure. If you're using an NASB, it calls God um, infinite. And there probably is a footnote in your NASB, and it says literally no number. And so you have this contrast in verse 4, God can number the stars. Verse 5, God is no number. He can't be numbered. So again, we're dealing with this issue that God is the creator. He's the infinite one. We are not. God cannot be numbered or measured or fully grasped or fully comprehended. And all of this helps us root the idea that God's incomprehensibility by us is rooted in his nature as God. Again, this means that your inability to fully grasp God is not due to you being a sinner, although that doesn't help you. It's not due to we don't have perfect or we don't have full possible revelation. The reason that God's incomprehensible is because he is God. This is an eternally uh, existing distinction that will never be surpassed. God is God and you are not. There's a legend in church history where Augustine was walking along the beach. He's trying to think about the Trinity, and he's trying to wrap his mind around it. And he's walking along the beach, and he sees a small boy scooping water out of the ocean, and he's using these tiny seashells. And Augustine asks the boy, and he says, what are you doing? The boy says, I'm trying to empty the ocean. (laughs) What you think about it, and emptying the ocean would be hard enough, but a small boy with small shells, this is just laughably impossible. So Augustine, the story goes, walks off chuckling to himself. What a silly thing for a young boy to think with small shells. He can empty the ocean, and then it hits him. It's like, here I am, trying to wrap my mind around, not grasp anything about, but wrap my mind around our triune God. How, how much more impossible is that? If you think a small boy with small seashells emptying the ocean is laughable and then you claim to fully grasp God, you don't get the irony in this contrast. But here's the catch that I want to make you aware of. As I told you earlier, there are two parts to God being incomprehensible that I want to make clear today. It's not just you'll never fully wrap your mind around all that God is. You need to feel the weight also of anything you do know about God. You'll never fully exhaust that one thing. So, God's incomprehensibility means that you will never fully grasp all true things about God or any single true thing about God. Let me ask you this. I want some participation. It's cold outside. You can warm up by talking. Let me ask you, is God love? Yes. You know that. How? Just any answer. How do you know God is love? Because he revealed it. He said, 1 John, God is love. The fact that you know that about God is not a claim that you know everything about God now. And it's something that you can know with such conviction that if anybody were to come across and say, God's not love, you would know enough that you would say, oh, that's wrong. The point that I'm trying to show you is you can still truly know God, even though you don't know everything about God. But just take that one thing that I would imagine everybody in this room is convinced of, at least intellectually. You know God is love. And let me ask you do you think you fully grasp all that that means? Do you think you fully comprehend that statement, God is love? So much so that you can go, you know what? I've given a couple years to studying God is love, I think I'm done. There's nothing else to be searched out. There's no more application to make. There's nothing more to enjoy. On to the next attribute. Obviously, no one would say that in their right mind. This is why we love great hymns like the love of God. It understood God's incomprehensible nature. The love of God is greater far than any tongue or, than tongue or pen could ever tell. This hymn was written with the idea in mind that God is incomprehensible on the whole, but even in just the fact that we know God is love. It goes on to say this, and I want you to imagine this in your head. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? So again, I want you to actually imagine this. Imagine all the ocean is ink, all the sky is paper, every human on earth can write, and every stalk, or just take tree or whatever, is a pen. The song goes on to say this, To write the love of God above, it would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. In other words, if you had an ocean full of ink, a sky full of paper, and everyone could write, and we all had utensils, we'd run out of ink and run out of paper before we ever got to the bottom of God's love. This is what the song is trying to emphasize, and it understands God is incomprehensible. Incomprehensible in the whole and incomprehensible in each individual truth that we study. God's incomprehensibility means you will never understood all he is, understand all He is, but also you'll never fully understand just something like God is love. There will always be more room to grow, more, uh, more depth to, to plumb. And you can do this with everything that you know about God. Again, answer, is God holy? It's like how many of you would go, yeah, next? It's like, it's like another Bible study on the holiness of God, really? Like, Didn't we talk about that like two years ago? You could do this with anything. Have you ever thought that you fully grasp what it means for God to be good or righteous, wise, just, unchangeable, everywhere, fully present, all-knowing, gracious, patient? And the list goes on and on and on. God's incomprehensibility helps you see that no matter how much you ever know about God that is true, you will always have infinitely more that's unknown. Turn with me to Romans 11. Romans 11. And while you're turning, I'll just remind you in Romans 9 through 11, it is such a rich section, such a clear section, with so much truth taught throughout it. Paul gives some of the clearest statements, not just on salvation, but on Israel, on Gentiles, on the Abrahamic covenant, and so many other things in Romans 9 through 11. So you can go to Romans 9 through 11 and learn so many true things that you are supposed to embrace and affirm. It's things you can know for a fact. But then at the end of listing all those true things, Paul says this in Romans 11, verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice the language borrowed what we were just talking about from the Psalms. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Answer is what? No one, verse 35, or who has given to him a gift that he might be repaid? No one, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. Paul says that God's ways and God's judgments are unsearchable and inscrutable. That means that you can't fully grasp or find or understand all of God's unfathomable ways. And he says that after saying so many clear things about things you can know. And so, again, we don't need to hear uh, incomprehensible as unknowable. What happens for Paul is the more truth that he learned, the more truth he knew, the more truth he taught, the more amazed he was at God. And that's the same response that ought to happen in you. But, again, some of you will hear that God's incomprehensible and you'll just throw your hands up. Well, why try? If I'm never going to be any better off than the next person, there's always infinitely more that's unknown. Why do anything? So I want to take a few moments just to help encourage you and to try to convince you that, that God's incomprehensibility is actually some of the best news that you don't think about very much. Learning that God is incomprehensible should have the opposite effect. It should light a fire in you that causes you to want to know God better and better and better and to never throw your hands up and quit just because you'll never get to the end. To the believers in the room right now, I want you to think about your current knowledge of God. Just take any or all things you know about God, and I want to ask you a question. You can answer this to yourself. With all that you know about God that's true, are you better off for knowing that? Are you more thankful to God that you have a clearer picture of God? Or do you think you'd be better off with more ignorance or more darkness Are you more blessed to know the things about God that you know, like His love, His grace, His goodness, severity, wrath, sovereignty, mercy, and so on? Again, ask yourself this. Is there anything about God that you have ever learned that was true and been worse off for? Man, I really wish you hadn't revealed that. Is there anything about God that you could ever learn and you would say, that's a harmful thing to learn? Absolutely not. The reason for this is because God is objectively good and inherently glorious. Therefore, every single true glimpse of God that you get is always going to benefit you and you're better off for gaining it. The reason I bring this up is because the correlation of increasing your knowledge of God is always good for you because when you learn more about God, and I mean knowing Him, when you learn more about God, you learn more how you're supposed to live in front of him and how you're supposed to live with other people around you and how you're supposed to glorify him. And there, there are ways that you can know and love and glorify God that right now you don't even think about. And it's due to, and I mean this in the real sense, our ignorance. Our lack of more knowledge of God causes us to not live like we should, not love like we should, not glorify him like we should. And so the more accurate knowledge of God that you gain, it will always lead to more blessing for you, more love towards others, and more joy-filled glory to God. This is why knowing more about God is always good for you, never bad for you, and this is why God's incomprehensibility is such great news for you. I want you to keep following me on this line of reasoning because if God is incomprehensible, and He is, and more knowledge of God leads to more good for you, then that means in heaven you will only and always be increasing in knowing this incomprehensible God. And so the the good blessings that come from that will never end. They'll never decrease. You'll never hit a plateau. You'll just keep increasing. The end to the joy that knowing God brings is never ending. And so because God is incomprehensible, there's no limit or end to the increase of knowing Him. You don't think that in a million years we're in heaven. Is there anybody else to talk about? Absolutely not. We could still have Bible studies, whatever that would look like in heaven. I don't know, but we'll still have studies on trying to think about God being holy and loving. These things you learn in kindergarten. And it's because God is incomprehensible. In heaven, you will only and always be accurately increasing in your knowledge of God, which means you will only and always be increasing in your love, joy, happiness, blessing, and glorifying of God. That, that is what we love to hear. The, the happiness is promised in Christ are never ending. And that's not just a time thing. They will never end as far as time, but they will never end as far as increase. And it's because God is incomprehensible. I mean, just imagine for a second, as I've said several times, if God could be comprehended by you. Could you imagine a, a more disappointing heaven than that? Where you reach the end of thinking about the greatest thing that you could think about being God. Again, your love would have a limit. Your joy would have a limit. The way you could glorify God would have a limit. You could retire in heaven from knowing God. But again, we know that's not true. Why? Because God's incomprehensible. So you are guaranteed in Christ to have an eternally lasting joy, but an eternally increasing joy. And as that grows, your interactions with others on the new earth will always be more enjoyable than they were before, and your glorifying of God will always increase. This is why heaven is, is often described in, as from Puritans and even in Scripture. as The word blessed, blessed is always, is not always, but a lot of times it's in the plural. Blessedness is, is happiness is in heaven. It's just unending. You can't describe it. So again, this endless increasing joy can be yours from knowing our incomprehensible God. This is why you have to give yourself now to the study of his word. Because we get foretaste of this now. The the book that we are looking at right now together, the Bible, is God's self-revelation. And that means every new thing that you discover in here leads you to a new realm of love and glory and joy and happiness that you were previously being robbed of due to ignorance. Because in the pursuit that we're giving ourselves to, to know this incomprehensible God, we need to see this encouraging truth that it's an increasing ever eternally increasing pursuit but also you do it with humility because you know god is incomprehensible god i need you to help me know you i need you to not only reveal yourself to me but help me make sense of this there are passages that you read i don't get it and then you're reading it later and it clicks I, i i get it not everything but i get some something of it so we need god's help in this pursuit but as great as all that is again i mentioned there's one problem that we have to deal with. talked about it a little bit earlier. Some people will hear God's incomprehensibility, and they'll wrongly assume that means you can't know anything about God. They equate God being incomprehensible with God being unknowable, which is a costly mistake. It is a currently joy-robbing mistake and a glory-forfeiting mistake that you can't afford to make. So that's what we want to turn to with the rest of our time. We saw earlier you will never fully know God, but We want to end with this idea that you can always truly know God. Again, it's important to point this out because so many in our day, influenced by the the horrors of postmodernism, they assume it's arrogant for you to claim to know anything for certain. They act like a claim to know anything is pointless unless you also claim to know everything. And this is the way that you get treated in the world. They wrongly assume they're the humble ones who act like God hasn't spoken and act like he was unclear, they act like that's humility when Scripture teaches plainly that real humility is found in submitting to and affirming what God has said, not questioning and ignoring what God has said. It is the height of arrogance to say that God has been unclear or wrong in how he reveals himself to be, not humility. So again, you will never fully know God, but you can truly know God. And this is obvious, if nothing else, for how much Scripture talks about you must know God. I mean, think about how much Scripture expects you to know God. For example, think about Romans 1, where Paul makes it clear that God has revealed Himself in a general way to everyone since the dawn of creation. This means that when people reject God, Romans 1 says they're without excuse. And the the point there is God, who is incomprehensible and infinite, He has revealed Himself in such a way that it was clear, and you should have known about it. And the fact that you don't is not that He was unclear, it's you're rebellious. The illustration that was given to me in Romans 1 was, it's like everyone was born with this beach ball above the water, and the people who reject God shove it under. It's like when you claim there's no beach ball, you're ignoring your intentional attempts to shove it under the water and get it out of the way. That's what Romans 1 is is trying to explain. And so God has revealed himself, though he's incomprehensible, he has revealed himself in such a way that there's this obligation that you must know him. And so again, their ignorance in Romans 1 is due to rebellion, not a lack of clarity. Think of all that God has revealed himself, like we talked about earlier, you can know it for a fact while also admitting, I don't know everything. 1 John 4.8 says God is love. 1 John 1.5 says God is light. I'm sorry, John 4.24 says God is spirit. And Romans 3.26 teaches you that God is righteous. These are clear propositional truths that God has made about himself that you can and must affirm with conviction from the heart or else it's the peak of arrogance. So don't be surprised or swayed by these false claims of humility. When you embrace God's revelation about Himself with conviction from the heart, you are exercising the true humility He intended you to exercise because you're the one listening to God. You're the one submitting to what He said. To not cling to this revelation about Himself is arrogance. So again, being clear on this will help you avoid the the secular agnosticism that kind of dominates our day where people claim the only thing you can know is that you can't know anything. It's the kind of thinking that's wreaking havoc in our societies. And sadly, many in the church aren't as immune to it as you think. They're, they're what I'll call religious agnostics. They'll know God exists, but how dare you say anything specific on him or her, they'll say. I remember this one illustration where they said, you know, all our religions are like stained glass. God is this pure source of light shining through the stained glass. And, you know, they see green and you see red. We see yellow. That's the way we see God. I mean, nobody has the corner on the light behind the glass. It's like, come on. <laughs> that is not biblical or true at all. Again, it's arrogant to claim ignorance where God has spoken. It's true humility to believe what he has said, even if, that affirming, uh, even if affirming what God has said cost you your life or your family or your comfort. That's real humility. And though God's revelation about himself will never be fully comprehended by us, he has revealed himself in a way that you can truly know God. You can benefit from knowing him right now. And so again, while you don't know everything exhaustively, you don't know anything exhaustively, you do know some things for certain. You don't have to know everything to know something is the point that we're trying to make. You can truly know God, but again, make sure you're careful about this. In churches, I'm assuming like ours, I'm throwing you in with Cornerstone Bible Church, where we emphasize studying Scripture and good theology and doctrine, we, we try to study those things, it can become easy to study things about God and not God. It can be easy to affirm things about God because Scripture says it, but you don't actually love God more. It would be like learning more facts about your wife, but you really don't care any more about her than you did before you learned them. This is a danger that we run into. So make sure in your pursuit of knowing God, you're actually pursuing knowing God, not just theology. Good theology is not the end, it's the means. I want to know God through having good doctrine and theology. John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life. Just stop there. If you're not familiar with this verse, just listen to it. If I had stopped you on the way in this morning and said, hey, what's eternal life? I would imagine most answers would deal with existing forever. It's like, well, if eternal life is just existing forever, then people in hell have eternal life? No, they do not have eternal life. Eternal life includes existing forever. Sure, it's life eternal, but it's more than existing forever. John 17:3, Jesus himself defined eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God is life. It is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17:3. This means eternal life is not just existing forever as I said. It involves knowing God forever. And if eternal life is knowing God, then you can tell who has eternal life because they're giving themselves to the means of what it takes to know God, sitting under Scripture. Again, this is where God has told us about himself. What better way to know the incomprehensible God than to listen to the revelation the incomprehensible one has given about himself? If anyone knows God, obviously it's God. So you can and must begin this quest to dig into knowing your infinite, incomprehensible God by studying His Word even today. And you can increase in this knowledge that never ends. Turn to Ephesians 3. This is one of my favorite prayers in Scripture just because it's so contradictory. And I I won't say It's such a paradox. It doesn't contradict itself. But Ephesians 3, Paul makes this prayer that emphasizes this idea I'm trying to get at. God's incomprehensible yet knowable. You can truly grow in your knowledge of God and never end. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, notice, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses what knowledge it's like hold hold on a second paul you want me to comprehend what surpasses knowledge this is the tension that we're talking about in this incomprehensible doctrine paul prays for these christians and we can even apply this prayer to us today To comprehend the incomprehensible God. Paul says, I'm praying that you would get to the bottom of that which there is no bottom. This is what Paul's praying. And it only makes sense if God is both incomprehensible yet knowable, which He is. Again, I'll remind you of why this is great news. Because as you continue to comprehend more and more things about God who is incomprehensible, you are on an endless pursuit of growing and being blessed. And since there is no end to Him, like I've said several times already, there's no end in your growth of knowing God, which means there's no end in the blessings of knowing God. Again, if God were able to be comprehended, it would be one of the worst things that I could imagine. A comprehensible God is eventually a boring God. You would long for something more interesting, but that will never be the case with God. That means you'll never, ever get over how amazing that He is. I think it's amazing grace, right? The, the final stanza when we've been there 10,000 years. And it's just we're just saying the same thing. Again, I don't care who you are, what your status is right now with God. You may be a visitor here or a member or a deacon or some guest preacher from McPherson. I, I really don't care. On this point, your knowledge of God is infinitely smaller than all that can be known about God. You take the person who knows the most about God in this room, and the person who knows the least about God in this room, and there may be differences, and there will be differences, but both of them have infinitely more to learn. This is what gives us such encouragement for an endless growth and joy in heaven. Again, this is why our incomprehensible God is such good news. This is life-changing news. I mean, just take, for instance, God's wisdom. Let's just, let's just all acknowledge right now together that God is wise If you are a Christian, you know this is true, but what we're saying today is he's infinitely wiser than you imagine at this moment. So think about how that would apply in your situation when life is not going like you think it should, when life's not making sense. And you may even make the statement or have the thought, you know, if I were God, and you start running down that path, you're claiming that God can not only be comprehended, but his wisdom's off. It's wrong. It's not as great as you thought it was, because. Your superior wisdom would plan your life this way. This is the way that we start to act when we forget that God's incomprehensible. Again, this is what gives rise to complaining in our lives. You start to think you've got God figured out. You've got his wisdom, your situation figured out. God's dropping the ball here. Somebody needs to tell him. I'll probably tell some people at church. I'll definitely uh, let people know on Facebook that God's not fulfilling his obligations here. And so we start complaining. Complaining is a way of forgetting God's incomprehensibility. But in your more sober moments, even sitting right here right now, you know better than that. You know God is wise and he's infinitely wiser than you can ever imagine or will ever comprehend. So when God promises everything will work out for your good and my glory, when he promises that and you bump into situations in life where you go, oh, it doesn't look like it, um, that's where you go, you know what? I can't even begin to scratch the surface of how wise God is. I have no clue how it's going to happen. I just know that it will happen. This is the way God's incomprehensibility can help you. This is how you live with a humble knowledge that's true knowledge, but incomprehensible knowledge of God. And so ask yourself, if you've fallen into one of these two ditches, are there times where you kind of get bored studying truths about God? Because it's like, well, I mean, I'd I've done two studies on that already. I did some word studies. I read that book. I did this or did that. Let's move on to other things as if you've exhausted all that God is. Are you prone to thinking, I find humor in this phrase, you've mastered the divine? Because they, they, they do this horrible thing to us when we graduate seminary. They give us a degree, and it's called a master of divinity. And it's like, I was a janitor for three and a half years. What do you mean I've mastered the divine? Like That is not the case at all. And it will never be the case for any of us. I'm appreciative of my degree, but I would name it something else. (laughs) If you think you've mastered any aspect of who God is, you have not even begun to scratch the surface of who God is. God's very nature is incomprehensible. No one outside of God himself will ever fully, truly, exhaustively, comprehensively know God. But again, maybe that's not your temptation. Maybe your temptation is the other way. You give up because, well, I mean, why, why try anything? Why start a race I know I'll never end? Why, why do that? Why put yourself through that? And again, I'm trying to encourage you because in Scripture, we know from God himself that the best thing for you is a real true knowledge of God. In fact, that's one of the reasons Jesus came, was so that people would have eternal life, which he defined as knowing God. So let these twin truths of God's incomprehensibility yet knowability ability humble you and encourage you to set your life on a trajectory that's going to increase here and now today to know God better. And that pursuit won't end or be perfected in heaven. You will still be for eternity learning more and more and more about your God, which again is incredible news for us. We rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived and died in our place so that we can know God, the infinite yet and incomprehensible God. We can truly know him by coming to his son, or through his son Jesus Christ. Again, the good news of God's incomprehensibility is that applies to all God is. If we say God is merciful, that means His mercy is infinite, and in Christ, that infinite mercy is mine. If if we say God is gracious, He is, then we're saying He's infinitely gracious. I'll never fully understand how gracious God is, yet I do know in Christ that that infinite graciousness is mine. And so by faith, we can know that all these infinite qualities that we love so much about God are for us rather than working against us. That your sins that are too many for you to count are no match for His infinite grace. You keep needing more and more and more grace every day, and yet God keeps giving more and more and more grace every day. It's almost like, and I hope this comes across okay, but it's almost like there's this infinite bank account that you keep writing checks from, you keep spending and the balance just never decreases. That's the way it comes across when God's infinite grace is poured out on us. You go, man, I've just asked too many times for forgiveness. You're doubting God's infinity, His infinite grace, His incomprehensibility. This is what you're questioning when you say things like that. This infinite grace and mercy is for all who come to Him through His Son. Because through Jesus, you can actually know this infinite God. Because of Christ, your sin can be dealt with, your lack of righteousness can be supplied, and a real and eternal, what we'll call covenantal knowledge of God can be yours beginning right now and going on forever and increasing forever. So that all of your life is currently and forever being shaped by a real and eternally increasing knowledge of God. And and that, as I said earlier, is what leads to an eternally unending and unincreasing or undecreasing, however, I'm from Georgia, so just bear with me. The fact that you can know that God and that knowledge will never end nor cease to grow is reason for us to long so much for heaven, to be done with sin's power and presence and the the penalties, to be done with all that and to just know God. Again, this is one of the key reasons Christ came was so that you could know him. So through all this, the encouragement is to begin today what you'll never cease doing for all of eternity. And that is to behold your incomprehensible yet knowable God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the encouragement it is to, to just think in some small kindergarten-type way of your greatness. Even preaching a sermon on your incomprehensibility, it, it still is is laughable in many ways to think that we've even started to explain how infinitely great you are. Father, keep us from the pride that that so easily creeps in. In thinking that we've got some corner on the market on knowing you, in thinking that we've mastered some aspect of you or the whole of you, help remind us that you are God and we are not. Help us remember that as creatures we will never fully comprehend or fully search out or fully find or grasp you in your ways. But also encourage us as your people to, to give our lives to rightly know you. Help us stay away from the discouragement that it can be, that we will never get to the end of this. Help us see the the joy and the, the benefit, the blessing found in knowing you. The tension that we're trying to affirm here, that we will never, ever fully exhaust any or all things about you. And yet we can be truly and eternally blessed by knowing real things right here and now. So help us give our lives to that. Help us encourage each other in the church to do that. Help us to love you through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.